Sometimes as we're walking through kind of a systematic theology to get a a grasp of Scripture's teaching on various points of doctrine, it reminds us to not just take things for granted, not to just assume certain things, not to think even some of the most basic doctrines that, yeah, I know that, I, I understand it. And even when it comes to the simple things, to know that in light of this morning, all that we do and all that we say needs to come from Scripture. Look at Colossians 1.18 on the screen behind me. Read it aloud with me. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. We know that that is speaking of Christ and his lordship over all things. And uh, this idea of the church, uh, we, we saw that the definition of the church is the whole number of the elect, past, present, and future, that are called out under Christ. Again, the church did not just begin, though there's a special uh, sense in which we see the book of Acts bringing forth the church, But the church is all those past, present, and future, and we're all under one head, which is Christ. As we see in the London Baptist Confession, paragraph 4, look at it on the screen with me. The Lord Jesus is the head of the church, in whom, by the appointment of the Father, all power for the calling, institution, order, or government of the church is invested in a supreme and sovereign manner. Neither can the Pope of Rome in any sense be head of therefore, thereof, excuse me, but is that Antichrist, that man of sin and son of perdition that exalts himself in the church against Christ and all that is called God, whom the Lord shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. This is a paragraph that often catches people off guard in the confession. One that so boldly states this, and again, this confession was written in 1689, coming shortly after the Reformation, and seeing that stark contrast, and in doing so, really trying to draw this, uh, this line of division between the Roman Catholic Church. Remember, we understood on last week, Catholic means universal. When we speak of the Roman Catholic, then we understand better the Church of Rome, as it's stated here in the Confession. Um, the Roman Catholic Church as opposed to um, the, the universal church which God has created under Christ. And drawing that distinction be- between those who were reforming and the Roman Catholic Church was this division of who is the head of the church. For we understand, even as we read in Colossians 1.18, and Christ is the head of the body, the church. Notice, head, kids. The head in that verse, is it singular or plural? Singular. So there is one head of the body. There is not more than one. There is not one who stands in place of. There is no vicar of Christ but it is he himself stands as head over his church. And we see how the, the church, the, the Christ's headship is confessed. Ephesians 1.22 And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. 
When we see this statement here in the confession of, of Antichrist, we understand how John in 1 John 2.18 says, Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. By definition, Antichrist is one who has set themselves against Christ. And anyone who says, I am the, the possessor of Christ's authority over the church, has put themselves at opposition. And that's why we see the confession stating Antichrist. Some have said, hey, we, we might want to remove this, but one of the questions would be, is there error in that? Is there, is there error on the part of the, the Roman Catholic Church? Yes. And we understand that there is but one head of the church and it is Christ himself. What a, what a great reminder. And, and though sometimes, I believe as we live here in America, we see sometimes that line blurred. And I was able to serve with a, a, a pastor in Perugia, Italy. And uh, we, he's been a, a, a missionary over there for, I think, over 40 years now. And he said to us as we were there, he says, be careful. The church of throughout America keeps blurring this line, and yet we don't realize there is a distinction. Even to think about what happened as a part of the Reformation, uh, we, we understand we, we don't go back there. But we can easily fall into the blurring of the lines but we must remember that Christ alone is the head of the church. And that is to remind us as any type of leadership that God institutes, that we do not play the role of Christ, that we are all under shepherds, under his authority in any type of leadership that is in the church. For there is one head who is Christ. Paragraph 5 In the execution of this power, the confession says, wherewith he is so entrusted, the Lord Jesus calls out of the world unto himself through the ministry of his his word, by his spirit, those that are given unto him by his father, that they may walk before him in all the ways of obedience, which he prescribes to them in his word. Those thus called, he commands to walk together, in particular societies or churches, for their mutual edification and the due performance of that public worship which he requires them of them in the world. Paragraph 5 then helps us to understand that Christ is the head, and as, as this is given, you hear even a, a bit of the, the, um, the Great Commission to teach all that... Um, Teach them to obey all that I have commanded, he says, which Jesus says, I have prescribed in my word that they may gather in, in that word, their particular societies. Uh, it's kind of an odd uh, phrase that is used, that is spoken of there. But we see that this idea of a church is, while it's universal, there are local aspects of it. There are local manifestations Those local manifestations are to show the outflowing of those who are called by the word, by the spirit, by the father, to Christ, to be his bride. 
that we are to worship with one another publicly, that he requires it of us. And there's much backlash to this in recent days, that of, well, is it really important? Can't I just be part of God's family? As I said this morning, uh, the, the group of people who would say, well, I love Jesus, but not the church. And yet, to ask ourselves, why would we say that? Why would we even confess those words? I love the church, I love Christ, but not the church. Yet it says, he gave himself up for it. So we would say, we love Jesus, but we don't like that which he gave his own life for? Do we recognize that the local assemblies are imperfect? Yeah. Do we recognize that there is sin that permeates? Yes. Paul addressed that in 1 Corinthians to a church. Uh, John addresses that to the churches in Revelation. There are problems within churches. Because why? We're humans and there is sin. The question is, how do we deal with that? And under whose authority do we deal with that? And in in what ways do we deal with that? We submit to his his, uh, headship through the functioning of the local church. This morning, I shared, there was a Barna um, survey, and I forget when it was done, of those who would say, well, I love Jesus, but not the church. And yet, when you looked at the things that were the outflowing of the Christian life, the things that they, they emphasized in their life were the things that isolated themselves from the church. The spending time in nature was, was more of an emphasis. The time of isolation and personal uh, uh, focusing um, even just the, the act of, inter- interesting, they asked the question, was how, much, how many of them practiced yoga? What is the whole emphasis of yoga? Emptying your mind, being free, that we self-actualize uh, and understand what ourselves. And yet we see how Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, we see the command, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. It's interesting, there's many who would say, well, I'm not forsaking the assembly. I get together with Christians all the time. But we see throughout all the New Testament the picture of the local church. It's not called local gatherings And again, we look to Acts chapter 2 and we say, hey, look at it. It was all these informal gatherings. And yet we've seen through our walk through Acts that they were meeting in the temple and in homes. There was a corporate gathering and informal gatherings. But all of it was not, um, all of those things were done under the headship of the apostles, which were kind of the, uh, the, the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. These were not free-flowing entities that sat under no leadership at all. They all fell under the, the leadership of those apostles. I mean, we could spend a lot of time this evening just looking to see all the verses that speak of specific churches, not just informal assemblies, but here's a couple. Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia... 
He's not speaking to just these unformed group people. He's speaking to specific gatherings. In 1 Corinthians 16, 1, Paul writes, Now concerning the collection for the saints, this is they were going to send it to um, uh, Jerusalem, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia. Notice I emphasize that, the churches of Galatia. There are many churches throughout Galatia. And he's writing to the churches, not to these individuals who are just kind of, again, meeting on their own. They're underneath the leadership of ordained leadership. In Galatians 1.22, Paul writes, And I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea. Again, it's a sample of just the scriptures that point us to that there are these entities which God has created Yes, there is the universal church, and that is the blessing that we can be traveling throughout the whole world and gather on the Lord's Day with the church and realize we have something in unity. It is the blessing. But at the same time, while we are brothers and sisters in Christ, even with a a dear brother like Scott Brown, God has instituted our churches differently as local outworkings. Acts chapter 14, verses 21 to 23. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, We must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church... Again, we see what is this unique identifier of what this local assembly is. It is that which has a leadership by which God has ordained. Many of what we hear of today, well, this home church this or home church that, there is no biblical leadership. And it is not a church. Is it a fellowship of Christians? Okay, yes. But until one has a structure, whether it be in a home or whether it be in a church building like this, it doesn't function as what God has ordained a church to be. Titus chapter 1 verse 5, a similar situation. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking... What was lacking? And appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. There was a, a need for the leadership which God had ordained. Ephesians chapter 4, God has given different, uh, different responsibilities and different callings. And we see there, why does he give those? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. One of the th- verses that kind of uh, stood out to me as I was studying this week, Acts eleven twenty six. And when he found them, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year, they assembled with the church. Notice they, they're recognizing... Um, uh, I'm blanking on his name. Young man in the faith, they bring him, and so they're attaching themselves to the church. They assemble with the church. They're not just assembling among themselves. They're in a local area, and they're attaching themselves to the church. Also, we understand if, if we 
understand all of Scripture, Hebrews 13, 17, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. How can we be obeying God's word if we don't have church leadership looking out for our souls underneath the the leadership that God has instituted? Now, as we see God showing us this picture of these local assemblies in, in places, we are all under Christ. He is our head. But one of the things that we see different from our Presbyterian brothers and sisters is that we believe each church is autonomous. That there is not a hierarchy of churches. And while we may have a great affinity for another fellowship, they have no authority over us and we have no authority over them. While we can, as brothers and sisters in Christ, implore and exhort and encourage one another... God has not given us any authority. There's no presbytery that then sits as governing agents over us. While we may affiliate under associations, those associations have no authority. They're there for mutual encouragement and affirmations. How do we see this autonomy of the local church? I believe even in the example of church discipline. In Matthew chapter 18, we see we're to go to a brother when we've been sinned against. We're to go privately. If he doesn't hear us, then take two or, uh, one or two others. And then if he doesn't, we're to bring it to the, the whole world? No. Even church discipline takes place in a local assembly. Now, take this and also uh, apply it... I'm getting ahead of myself, David, but the quote by Sam Waldron. In the letters, he says, to the seven churches of Asia in Revelation 2 and 3, the subject of the church discipline is repeatedly emphasized by Christ, but each church is held solely responsible for its own members and their discipline. Christ never asserts, assumes, or implies that the other churches may exercise church discipline by intervening in another church's affairs. The entire group is not held responsible or told to act for the discipline of Laodicea. I think that's a wonderful way of pointing this out. That these churches who are struggling, God didn't say, hey church at Ephesus, go over here. Now, as brothers and sisters in Christ, should we? Should we encourage? Yes, but do we have authority? No. Each church stands autonomous. Now, when I say the autonomy of the local church, I'm not saying autonomous apart from Christ. I'm saying autonomous from one another. While we stand before, uh, before Christ as our church We do not stand accountable for the ones around us. As brothers and sisters in Christ, again, we encourage them. We exhort them as we have opportunities. But God holds us accountable here. Interestingly enough, as we consider the local church, it's also in the way that things are ordered. The autonomy of the local church... God says in 1 Corinthians 14, and don't have to worry about that, David. It says, God is not a God of confusion at the end, as in all the, 
excuse me, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. There's, there's an order that takes place in each one of those. Why? Because God was not a God of confusion. And even seen in the examples of the apostles, did they themselves stay over all these churches? No. They appointed elders and entrusted the elders to oversee. It would have been easy for all of them to say, well, Paul's such a great leader. Let's make him the leader of our organization. And while Paul did have influence, he was not in any uh, official capacity of leadership over them. As he ministered to them, he spoke to them, but there was no organizational. Again, we see the beauty which God has created in the local church. Let's look at how the confession kind of fleshes this out and then we'll wrap up. Paragraph 6. The members of these churches are saints by calling, visibly manifesting and evidencing in and by their profession and walking their obedience unto that call of Christ and do willingly consent to walk together according to the appointment of Christ, giving up themselves to the Lord and to one another by the will of God and profess subjection to the ordinances of the gospel. Paragraph 7. To each of these churches... Therefore gathered according to his mind declared in his word, he has given all that power and authority which in any way needful for the carrying out, carrying on that order in worship and discipline, which he has instituted for them to observe with commands and rules for the due and right exerting and executing of that power. And at this point, the confession then begins to look at biblical leadership and the qualifications but again, we understand the beauty of the church. There is a universal church. There's one across the world. One that in Christ we all speak different languages. We have different color skin tones. We are all under Christ our head. But that does not take away the individual churches which are in each locale. And the beauty which God has designed them to be places that the saints are equipped and sent out. And it happens underneath the leadership that God has instituted. It is not anything outside of that authority. And it's not anything greater than that authority. God creates a beautiful bounds. And in that beautiful bounds is where we see his blessings. Where we see his perfect design in all things. And the beauty of his church let's pray lord thank you for your church lord just as we sing we can't lift ourselves up to you but it is you through your grace that lifts us up and it is your grace through christ that he will present us without spot or blemish and lord as this local assembly we stand here lord not as perfect but one is seeking to follow your ways, acknowledging the headship of Christ in all areas. Lord, help us that we might walk in your ways as you have prescribed in your word. Help us as a local church to reflect your glory. Lord, help us as a local church to love you more each day. We pray in Christ's name.
Amen.